Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you turn with me to the words that we read in 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. And reading again at verse 1, we read these words. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. In 2017, Mike Obey, the principal of Oak Hill College in London, passed away very, very suddenly. And writing for the Gospel Coalition website, his friend and colleague Dan Strange wrote, We loved him because he was just Mike, a wonderful and weird best possible gift to Christ Church, a true steward of the mysteries of God, exciting, excitable, enigmatic, exasperating, our leader and inspiration, my partner in crime, my mate, an utterly unique, complex combination of juxtapositions and contradictions that explain the extraordinary outpouring of grief and gratitude. Strange went on to write, I can't fathom why our Lord has taken our best player off the pitch at the beginning of the second half and just when we worked out a playing system that would enable him to shine all the more. But the Lord is good and wise and sovereign. There is a creator-creature distinction. His ways are not our ways. And I know that in some incredible way, we will be made more like Jesus and his kingdom will be extended. Well, this evening we're continuing our studies in the life of this man, this prophet Elijah, and we're focusing on his last day as the Lord's prophet. But we're also going to see that while this may have been his last day as the Lord's prophet, while it may have been the end of an era, it wasn't the end of the story. And we're going to see how the Lord's kingdom work would continue despite the loss of this formidable, fearless, faithful prophet. We're going to look at this narrative, verses 1 to 14, under three headings. We're going to look at the root, then the request, and finally the removal. First the root. Look at verses 1 to 6. Here the author focuses on the route that Elijah took leading up to his departure. The author begins by recording the time in verse 1. We're told that the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, beginning of verse 1. Now we've known since 1 Kings 19, that we looked at a few weeks ago, that Elijah's prophetic ministry wasn't going to last forever. That he had to anoint Elisha as his successor. But we've not been told anything more about this. And now we read that the time came for the Lord to take his prophet up to heaven. And we're told that Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Back in 1 Kings 19, Elisha had risen up and followed after Elijah. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, he is still following Elijah 18 years later. He is very much Elijah's shadow. The author continues by recording the tour in verses 2 down to 6. We can begin by noting the journey to Bethel in verses 2 and 3. As they're walking from Gilgal, Elijah turns to Elisha and he says to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. 
Elisha refuses and he says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And so they keep on walking and they come down to Bethel where they're met by the sons of the prophets who ask Elisha in verse 3, do you know that today the Lord will take your master from over you? And Elisha gives this very blunt reply, yes I know it, keep quiet. It's too painful for him to speak about losing Elijah. He can't face discussing the prospect of this very close bond between these two men being severed. We can continue by noting the journey to Jericho in verses 4 and 5. Elijah then speaks to Elisha and he says to him in verse 4, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And once again, Elisha refuses, repeating his original statement, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. They keep on walking, they come to the city of Jericho, where again they meet some sons of the prophets, who once again speak to Elisha, and they say to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master from over you? And once again, Elisha gets that simple, blunt reply, yes, I know it, and keep quiet. And finally, we can note the journey to the Jordan. Look at verse 6. Elijah and Elisha keep on walking. And yet again, Elijah says to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And yet again, Elisha refuses as he says to him, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. Friends, as we consider these verses, we can see the importance of remembering the Lord and remembering what he has done in the past. The importance of remembering the Lord and what he has done in the past, that is what we see in Elijah. You know, sometimes at a funeral, when a person dies, the hearse will go past the places that were very precious to that person, were very significant to that person. It might be past their home, or it might go past their croft, or it might go past their bowling club, or it might go past their favorite football stadium. And in the same way, we find Elijah making his final journey as a prophet of the Lord, and he's passing through all the places that were precious to him, that were significant to him. He goes to Bethel, the place where the Lord had appeared to Jacob in a dream and told him that he would give the land to him and to his descendants. He goes on to Jericho, the place where the Lord had given his people, the descendants of Jacob, their first victory over the Canaanites. Then he goes to the Jordan. The place where the Lord had miraculously opened up a way for his people to cross into the promised land after the river was in full flow. And as Elijah comes to each of these places, he is reminding himself and he is reminding Elisha of who the Lord is and what he had done for his people in the past. And there is a lesson for ourselves. It is so important, friends, that we... Don't forget that we don't lose sight of who the Lord is and what he has done in the past. Paul Tripp writes, when you are blind to the stunning, expansive glory of God, when you fail to remember his infinite greatness, you will live with an atrophied heart. Rather than your view of life continuing to expand to the size of God's incomprehensible grandeur, your perspective on life will shrink to the size of personal hopes and dreams or to the size of what the surrounding physical world has to offer. 
You will eat little of the trust and satisfying goodness of God's glory, and you will try to feed yourself on the nominative morsels of the temporary glories of creation. And because you won't be getting proper spiritual nutrition, you will be constantly hungry, your spiritual muscles will shrink, and you will be unable to live as God intended. Friends, that is why we gather together Sunday by Sunday around God's Word. We come together to remember His wondrous works. We come together to remember His mighty deeds. We come together to remember the marvellous things that He has done. We, we don't come looking for fresh revelations. We don't come looking for new experiences. Can I just say to you, if you're coming to church looking for a fresh revelation or a new experience, you're going to be massively disappointed. We come to renew and to refresh our minds, our memories, as we examine the treasures of the gospel. We come to reflect on the Lord and His amazing grace. We come to remember, as the Apostle Paul writes, that Christ Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again. We come to remember. Friends, as we make our way through this world, and as the day for our own departure draws near, and it may be 10 years away, it may be 30 years away, it might be just a few weeks ago, we don't know, but as we make our way through this world, friends, and as the day for our departure draws near, let's remember who the Lord is, and what He has done in the past, what He has done in Christ, what he has done for us in the gospel. That's the way Elijah prepares to leave this world. He prepares to leave this world by remembering what the Lord had done in the past. Second, we come to the request. Look at verses 7 down to 10. The author now focuses on Elijah's request prior to Elijah's departure. We found ourselves standing at a river in verses 7 and 8. And as we stand at this river, we see these witnesses in verse 7. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets have made the journey along with Elijah and Elisha, and they have come to the Jordan. And they proceed to line up along the banks of the Jordan. They leave a distance between Elijah and Elisha and themselves. And they're going to stand as witnesses to what will happen next. And having seen the witnesses, we then see the waters being parted. Look at verse 8. The author tells us what Elijah did. He takes off his cloak, his prophetic mantle, and he strikes, he rolls up the prophetic mantle, and he strikes the waters with the mantle. And the author tells us what happened. After the waters are struck, they part so that Elijah and Elisha are able to cross over on dry ground. It reminds us of the time when Moses stretched out his staff over the Red Sea and the people of Israel are able to cross over on dry ground back in Exodus 14. It reminds us also of the events in Joshua chapter 3 where Joshua and the people of Israel are able to cross over the Jordan on dry ground 
when it's in full flow because the water, the Lord stops the waters in, in, in his own sovereign power. And here we find these waters being stopped once again so that Elijah and Elisha can cross not into the promised land, but they're crossing outside the promised land. They are leaving Israel, they are leaving the borders of Israel as they're crossing this Jordan. We move from standing at the river, though, to hearing a request. Look at verses 9 and 10. Elijah, like everyone else in the narrative, knows that his departure is imminent. He, he is not just going along, and everybody is talking about his departure, but he is blissfully unaware of it. Elijah knows that he, too, is about to depart from this world, and he has a final question for Elijah. Look at verse 9. Elijah has repeatedly refused to leave Elijah, and so Elijah now speaks to him and he says to him, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elijah responds to Elijah's invitation with a very bold request. Look at verse 9. Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now that concept of a double portion is interesting. In ancient days, when a father died, his inheritance would be divided among his sons. But the eldest son would receive the double portion. The eldest son, the heir, the successor to the father, would receive double what anyone else got. And here we find Elijah, Elijah's spiritual heir, Elijah's successor, Elijah's son in the faith. And he is saying to Elijah, please. Give me a double portion of the Spirit who has been equipping you and empowering you in your ministry. And Elijah replies to Elisha's request with an enigmatic statement. Look at verse 10. You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Elijah knows that it's not for him to give the Spirit. That is for the Lord to dispense as he sees fit. But Elijah has a word of counsel for Elisha. If Elisha sees Elijah being taken up, if Elisha is looking up, if Elisha's gaze is set on heaven, then he will receive this portion of the Lord's spirit, the spirit that was on Elijah. But if Elisha doesn't see Elijah being taken, if he isn't looking up, if he's looking down, if he's gazing at the world and all the things going on in the world, rather than on the heavenly things, then he will not receive that portion of Elijah's spirit. He will not receive the spirit of the Lord. Friends, as we consider these verses, we can see the importance of the spirit of God when it comes to Christian ministry and Christian service. That's what we see in Elijah and Elisha. Elisha knows that he is Elijah's divinely appointed successor. He knows that he is Elijah's heir. He knows that he is going to take on the prophetic mantle from Elijah. He knows that he is going to be the Lord's prophet in Israel. And he knows that he is in need of the same spirit who had been equipping and empowering Elijah all these years. He recognizes that he could never be half the prophet that Elijah was without a double portion of the spirit who was resting upon Elijah. So he says, please give me a double portion of that spirit. And friends, that is such an important lesson for ourselves. Phil Riken writes, the primary qualification for effective ministry is the living presence of the Holy Spirit. The primary qualification for effective ministry is the living presence 
of the Holy Spirit. We see that in the book of Acts. The early church appoint deacons to provide practical care for the, these believers. And these men are appointed not because they are shrewd businessmen, not because they are prominent public figures, not because they win a popularity contest. These men are appointed, why? Because they are full of the Holy Spirit. The primary qualification for effective ministry is the living presence of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit is absent, there is no real power. When the Spirit is absent, there is no real effectiveness. We, we see this in the life of Samson. You remember Samson, he had been appointed by the Lord, he had been anointed by the Spirit of God, and he was able to do so many mighty things, able to destroy lions, able to take on vast armies of Philistines, but when he breaks faith with the Lord, the Spirit's empowering is withdrawn. And, this, and Samson thinks that he can fight the Philistines like he had always done, but he doesn't realize until it's too late that the Lord has left him to his own devices. You remember that phrase, I think it's in the authorized version, where it writes, where it says that Samson said, I will go out and fight them as before, and we read these words, but he wist not, he knew not that the Lord had left him. And he's bound and he's blinded and he's left grinding corn in a Philistine mill. Or we can think of the life of the Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones. I was watching a documentary about him not so long ago and those who were interviewed were speaking about the fact that the enabling of the Holy Spirit was the distinctive of his ministry. And one woman made this very interesting remark where she said that many men tried to preach like Lloyd-Jones. Many men at the time uh, tried to imitate Lloyd-Jones' sermon, but God, where he could preach for 45 minutes on these two words, but God. Many men could imitate him, but she says they were not empowered by the Spirit. Their preaching was empty. It lacked supernatural power. It lacked spiritual power. The primary qualification for effective ministry is the living presence of the Holy Spirit. And so tonight I want to encourage you friends to ask, to ask that the Lord might give you a double portion of His Spirit to equip you and to empower you, to magnify Him, to make Him known. Ask the Lord to give you a double portion of His Spirit to equip you and empower you to to stand for Him and to serve Him in a world that can be so hostile to Him. Can I just say to you, friend, that if you're not even willing to pray that for yourself, if you're not willing, I don't know, I hope you are, but if you're not willing to pray that for yourself, will you pray for our deacons? Will you pray for our elders? And will you please pray for me power of the High Free Church is not going to come from an all-singing, all-dancing praise group. It's not going to come from gifted communication from the pulpit. It's not going to come from great marketing devices coming from the Kirk Session. It's not even going to come from great finances coming into the church. The power of our congregation is going to come from the living presence of the Holy Spirit.
So you pray that for our congregation, and you pray it for our deacons, and you pray it for our elders, and you please pray it for me. Third and finally, we come to the removal. Look at verses 11 to 14. Here the author focuses on Elijah's removal and Elijah's return following Elijah's departure. In verses 11 and 12, we see the removal of Elijah. The author begins by recording his ascension. Look at verse 11. Elijah and Elisha are just talking together when they're suddenly interrupted by the arrival of chariots of fire and horses of fire. And with the appearance of these chariots of fire and horses of fire, Elijah is taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now, please note this. Pay attention, friends, to the fact that Elijah doesn't go up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Maybe you've seen these children's Bibles and you've got this picture of Elijah sitting in this fiery chariot and he's going up to heaven. That's not what goes on in this passage. The chariots of fire, the horses of fire, come to accompany Elijah on his way home, on his way to heaven. But Elijah is taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And the author moves from focusing on the ascension to the absence. Look at verse 12. Elisha is watching everything that is taking place and he cries out in verse 12, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And having said this, we read that Elisha saw him no more. Elijah is gone. He has departed from this world. And I find that incredible. I don't know if you do. Elijah had prayed. Remember back in 1 Kings 19. Elijah prays, Lord, let me die. And Elijah becomes one of only two men to never taste death. Isn't that incredible? In verses 13 and 14, we see the return of Elijah. The author notes this morning, verse 13, he takes hold of his clothes. He tears them in pieces. That is an expression of intense sorrow, intense grief. The biggest influence on Elijah's life has been taken from him. He falls apart. He, he breaks down. I don't know about you, but I know what it is to feel that way. I remember when I got the phone call saying that the biggest ministry influence on my life had passed away. He was a lovely minister in allness, and, and when mum phoned and said Donald's passed away, I was just sitting on the steps in the Thursday months and I broke down. Just thought, how on earth can I face ministry without Ronald? There, there's Elijah, Elijah, and he's lost Elijah. And he's thinking, how on earth am I going to go on? How can I, how can I carry on? And having noted his mourning, the author notes the miracle in verses 13 and 14. Elijah is upset, his heart is broken, but he knows that there is still work to do. And so he takes up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen, he stands at the banks of the Jordan, and he then strikes the waters, crying out, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Isn't it interesting that he's not concerned about where is Elijah? He doesn't say, Where is Elijah? No, he says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Where is the God who had been equipping my predecessor, empowering my predecessor, enabling my predecessor? Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Is he with me or not? And the waters part, just as they've done for Elijah. And Elisha now crosses back into the promised land as Israel's new prophet the divinely confirmed successor to Elijah. 
know, if, if it was a film, you could almost imagine the dramatic music that, that you think that there's no profit left in Israel. And then the music starts swirling, hands, a similar kind of soundtrack, swirling and swirling and swirling because there is Elisha going into Israel as the Lord's newly appointed prophet, equipped and empowered and enabled by the Spirit of God that had been upon Elijah. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being reminded, as David writes, that the Lord's power isn't limited to one era or to one person. That's what we see in Elisha. The Lord had done so many great things in Elijah's day. He had done so many great things through Elijah. He had inflicted a three-year drought on the land. He had provided for his prophet during that drought and during his subsequent famine. He had raised the dead. He had sent fire and rain from heaven on the very same day. And on the last day of Elijah's earthly life, he had parted the waters of the river Jordan. And now Elisha stands on the banks of the same river and he cries out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the waters part, testifying to the fact that the Lord's power isn't limited to one era or to one person. And friends, that is such an important and such an encouraging lesson for ourselves. You know, it can be all too easy to look at the great events in Scripture where we see the Lord working in powerful ways and then we lament at how things appear today. Or it can be all too easy to read about the great movements and growth of the church in past generations. And then we lament at how things appear to be today. You know, I hear people and I hear them saying things like, I remember when the streets of Stornoway were black with people going to church. I remember that you could hardly walk between Lapsdale and town with so many people going to church. And now that they've all got cars and they won't even go near a church. But you know, the Lord is still working. He is still on the throne. He's lost none of his power. The Jesus whom we worship tonight is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Still, Ralph Davis Christ, the God of history, is also the contemporary God. But you know, it can also be all too easy to look at certain servants whom the Lord has powerfully used. And our focus can be more on them than on the Lord who used them in his glorious purposes. I was speaking with two very, very good friends a few weeks ago. They're, they're, an, they're an older couple, a, a couple whom the Lord has used mightily, mightily over the years. And as we chatted, they warned me not to say anything about them at their funerals. No tribute, no eulogies, nothing. I say, well, what on earth are people going to say when I just get up and say, let's worship God? What, what, are, your, what are your family going to say? What are people in the congregation going to say? And they say, keep the focus on the Lord. Because it's the Lord alone who, who, who gave blessing. You know what Second Kings chapter 2 shows us is that the Lord's servants come and they go. No matter how influential and how instrumental a person might be in their Christian service, they are not essential. They are not indispensable. They are not irreplaceable when it comes to the Lord's work. The Lord will carry on his work through all the Elijahs that come after the Elijahs because the Lord's power isn't limited to any one person or any type of person. It's all about him. It's all about him. 
he gives, the grace that he gives. And all we say is, we echo the words of the psalmist, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the praise and the glory. It's all about him. His power isn't limited to one era or to one person. Well, friends, as we come to the end of this sermon, and as we come to the end of this sermon series, I have one final question for each of us, those who are here and those who are watching online. The name Elijah means, my God is the Lord. My God is the Lord. Elijah was an ordinary man. As James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, he was a man just like us, with the same weaknesses and the same failings. But he was a man who had an extraordinary God. And the question that I leave you with tonight, friends, is, is this God, is the God of Elijah, is the Lord your God? Is he your God? And if he's not, might I ask, 